Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we're continuing our collaboration with the John H. Lounsbury College of Education to share their social justice dialogue series with our radio audience. We're talking with J. Luke Wood, an author, editor, and educator who focuses on leadership in developing higher education's capacity to serve men of color. He is an associate professor of community college leadership at San Diego State University and co-director of the Community College Equity Assessment Lab. He'll lead a conversation entitled Black Minds Matter towards educational practices that support black men and boys. And that'll take place at 5 p.m. this Friday, March 3rd in the ANS Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College. Well, Dr. J. Luke Wood, thank you for making the time to talk with us here on Georgia College Connections. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure, and just so happy that we can assist the John H. Lounsbury College of Education in bringing this social justice dialogue series to our radio audience. Now, in our first segment, I thought we'd just uh, start off by, by talking about social justice and how it interacts with education. And I thought that I'd ask you, how do you define social justice? I define social justice as being a critical component of equity. So I think that oftentimes when people think about really redressing disparities that face underserved communities, there's two ways in which we approach it. One through an equity lens and one through an equality lens. In an equality lens, we view it through the perspective that everyone should receive the same. So regardless of the circumstances that they come from and regardless of the background that they come from, that they should receive the same level of support across the board. Now, this makes sense from a theoretical perspective, but in terms of practice, what it ends up doing is leaving students behind who may have not have had the level of preparation prior to coming to college, or who may have external pressures that are less than ideal, or who may have experiences in college and in school settings with educators who are simply not as supportive of them. So I perceive it from an equity perspective where sometimes we need to give some students a little bit more support, and we call it a handhold for a little bit, you know, gets them to that place that they need to be to ensure that they get the resources and support and have the experiences and outcomes that we would like to see. Now, from my perspective, social justice is the action of doing that. It's the action of engaging in a programming policies, practices, whether those are instructional practices or relational practices in and out of the classroom that ensure that students are having, again, experiences and outcomes that are par with that of their peers. And how can we develop an education system that promotes this idea of social justice at all levels? Well, we have to do a better job in our colleges of education in preparing people to be able to engage diverse communities. If we think about the challenges that are evident in our educational system and many of the systemic breakdowns that occur, we have to really recognize that the educators who are out there who are engaging our populations are ones that we've prepared. We've prepared them to go into the field. We've prepared them 
um, to be able to take the exams that they need to take. And so we've certified them in the way, but we haven't done our job as well as we could have in preparing them to engage diverse populations. So that involves pedagogy and teaching. How do we teach students who are from diverse backgrounds? Now, oftentimes when I look at higher education, I recognize that most educators have not had any formal training in how to teach. So if you want to teach at, say, a community college, you go, you get a bachelor's degree in, say, biology, and then you go out and you work in the field for an in industry for a couple years, and then you go back and maybe you get a master's degree, and then you go straight into the classroom with no formal training in how to teach. And if we look at the university level, it's not that different. Many of those of us who teach in university settings also have no formal training in how to teach. We have experiences that we've gained in watching others and experiences that we've gained in essentially trial by fire, but oftentimes there's no formal process. So what people do when they haven't been taught is they teach how they were taught. But unfortunately, how they were taught is oftentimes not how our students of color and certainly not how our men of color learn. So I think we have to do a better job of preparing educators to go into school, college, and university settings. And then once they're there, we have to be more thoughtful about what kind of development opportunities are we giving them so that we can retool and retool and retool as populations and demographics change. Because the students who we serve today are vastly different in terms of demographics than the students who we served 30 years ago. Yet there's oftentimes little training to really prepare us for those demographic shifts. And as students are changing, is it possible to look at an assessment of how this educational system is doing in being a, I guess, and maybe this is not the proper way to put it, but a stalwart of social justice within our society? Well, when I see disparate outcomes, I really view it from a systems perspective, that every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results that it gets. And that's a quote from W. Edward Deming that really has a lot of applicabilities to the work that I personally do. And when I see, again, disparate outcomes in terms of graduation rates, in terms of retention rates, in terms of uh, students uh, in K-12 overplacement in special education and overexposure to exclusionary discipline, again, I see it from this perspective that every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results that it gets. So when we think about it from that perspective, we take ownership as educators to say, there's some things that we're not doing that we could be doing. Now, that's not to relieve students, their families, and their communities from any responsibility, but it is to say that there's a lot more that we can do, and that oftentimes when we focus on what is with most within our control, then we're more successful. It's one thing for me to say, hey, this family is not doing this. There's probably little that I can do about that, as opposed to me saying, well, you know what, here's some breakdowns that I've definitely had, how can I redress those breakdowns in terms of my own practice, in terms of what's taking place with my colleagues, in terms of what's taking place with our institution, so that we have reduced everything that's most within our control to ensure that students are successful? Well, we're running out of time in this segment, so we're going to take a short break. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections. In this program, we're collaborating with the John H. Lounsbury College of Education to share their social justice dialogue series with our radio audience. Today, we're talking with J. Luke Wood. He's an author, editor, and educator who focuses on leadership and developing higher education's capacity to serve men of color. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you. 
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're continuing a series of programs that are focusing on the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series. Today, we're talking with J. Luke Wood. He's an author, editor, and educator who focuses on leadership and developing higher education's capacity to serve men of color. He'll be leading a conversation this Friday at 5 p.m., and it's entitled Black Minds Matter towards educational practices that support black men and boys. And that'll take place again at the ANS Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville at 5 p.m. on Friday. Now, Dr. Wood, you've recently edited a book that follows black male students through the entire U.S. educational system. It's titled Advancing Black Male Student Success from Preschool Through PhD. And I was just hoping that you might share some of the information or some of the insight you gained through editing this book uh, with our radio audience? Absolutely. So this is a book that I co-edited with a colleague, Sean Harper. And what we set out to do was to assemble the top minds who are engaged in research on black males throughout the pipeline. So again, like you said, beginning in preschool, all the way through, through doctoral study. And one of the things that we found to be a, a salient pattern, well, I, I let me back up and say, we found pretty much everything to be a salient pattern in terms of the experiences that we see in preschool are follow those students through doctoral study. They just manifest in slightly different ways. So, for example, stereotypes is a challenge that many black boys face in preschool. So let's say that you have a playground and there are two boys who are engaged in aggressive play, and one is black and one is white. And, and the teacher sees this. You might see that the teacher will reprimand the black boy for engaging in the aggressive play and maybe even laud the white boy uh, for engaging in that same type of play. And oftentimes the only difference between the two of them is their skin color. Now, we don't think we, the educators do this because they're mean or they're bad or they don't care. Oftentimes what this deals with is issues of implicit bias where we make unconscious judgments about others because we've been socialized to perceive them in negative ways. And from the work that we've done and definitely evident throughout the book, there are three primary ways in which we see that black men and boys are perceived throughout the educational system. One, they're perceived as criminals, which is really connected to this notion of assuming that they're up to no good, assuming that if they've done well on an assignment or they've done well on an exam, that possibly they have cheated. Uh, we see this in college levels where students are sometimes asked for their IDs at nighttime, assuming that maybe they're up on campus to steal something. The second pattern we see is an assumption or an ascription of intelligence. So assuming that they are academically inferior. And it's really interesting. We see this pattern beginning as early as, as kindergarten, uh, I just recently finished a study that's going to be published in the Journal of African American Males in Education, where I looked at black boys in kindergarten and found that teachers are more likely to over-attribute their actions in comparison to other students. Another thing that we found that's very similar to that is that a much higher percentage of teachers in kindergarten perceive that they are in incapable of learning. And this is a slide that I plan on showing um, as, I, as I have my visit at, at Georgia College. And then the third component that we see is that they are assumed to be 
essentially lazy, that they don't care, or one we oftentimes hear in the college setting, well, they're only here for the financial aid. And this is refers to essentially pathologizing their culture in negative ways. And we see these patterns play out throughout their experiences. But there's, of course, good news. We also saw in the book that any educator can teach a child or man of color. You have to simply teach them, though, from that perspective, recognizing their culture in the classroom, recognizing their racial identity, recognizing the masculine socialization and masculine identities. And by leveraging those assets that they bring, educators can be successful. I myself am, am, am a byproduct of exemplary teachers of all ethnic backgrounds, uh, and many of whom were white. So we know that educators can do this, but simply it really comes down to the type of training that they receive. Are they being trained in issues of implicit bias? Are they being trained in issues of racial microaggressions? Do they understand the privilege that they bring with them into the classroom? Now, sometimes people hear these topics and they, and they immediately become buzzwords for, uh, you know, we're trying to change the face of education or concerns about, you know, what is the, the real motivation for these topics. You know, from my perspective, if we're going to engage in educating children of color, we can't ignore the fact that they are children of color or men of color that there is an identity there, and that we have to be thoughtful about that and how we can leverage the cultural assets that they bring with them to the classroom and leverage the many other assets they bring with them to ensure that they're being as successful as possible. And there are so many things that I want to follow up with from your last response, but in this segment, we are out of time, so we're going to take another short break right now. But if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, you're listening to a part of a series of conversations we're having surrounding the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series. Today, joining me by phone is J. Luke Wood. He's an author, editor, and educator who focuses on leadership and developing higher education's capacity to serve men of color. He'll be on the Georgia College campus this Friday at 5 p.m., and he'll be leading a conversation entitled Black Minds Matter Towards Educational Practices That Support Black Men and Boys. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We're continuing tonight a series of programs that center on the John H. Lounsbury College of Education's Social Justice Dialogue Series. Uh, Today we're previewing an event that will happen later this week at 5 p.m. this Friday, March 3rd, in the A&S Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. We're welcoming J. Luke Wood. He's an author, editor, an educator who focuses on leadership and developing higher education's capacity to serve men of color. He'll be leading a conversation entitled Black Minds Matter Towards Educational Practices That Support Black Men and Boys. And again, that'll take place at 5 p.m. this Friday, March 3rd. It's free and open to the public, so please see this as your invitation to come out and join in this conversation. Now, in this last segment, I thought that I'd just ask you for advice that you might have for perspective in current educators. Absolutely. From our work, we've engaged in a number of studies that have looked at educators of all ethnic backgrounds and identified strategies and practices that we have found to be successful in working with black boys, young men, and men uh, throughout the educational system. I'll give you a a few of them that really relate more so to the college level, but the principles of practice are certainly applicable when we're talking about preschools and elementary schools. So the first is that we have to really engage in in culturally relevant teaching. We have to understand the students' backgrounds, the cultures and communities that they come from, and then leverage that information in the classroom. And one very simple way that educators can do that is by learning about students and then making the examples that they provide to be something that's specific to them and their communities. Now, let's take a math example of this. This wouldn't be as simple as changing a word problem from John to Juan, right? So, And sometimes we'll see educators in an attempt to try to make things uh, more equitable, engage in that kind of practice, but rather thinking about what are some places that the students might go in those communities and then maybe recreating the word problem so that they're traveling from the store in their community to the next door that's down the street to the park. And, you know, if they walk five miles to this direction and four miles in that direction and 10 miles in this direction, how far have they gone? But making it, again, something that's specific to the communities that they come from. Uh, the next practice that we talk about is the importance of what we call appropriate disclosing. So when a student sees an educator in front of the classroom, they see a finished product. They see someone who's went through years of schooling, who is oftentimes well-dressed, very professional, and there's a very big disconnect between the student and the educator, whether this is in K-12 or colleges or universities. And so what we suggest is engaging in appropriate disclosing where educators talk about some of the challenges that they've faced, you know, whether those are personal challenges, academic challenges, career challenges, And really just talk about that because what we find is that students report to us that when educators do that, they find it to be very motivational, and it also helps them to make a stronger connection to that educator so that they're more likely to see them as someone who they can trust in, see them as someone who might be more caring of them. Now, a caveat here is you don't ever want to make a statement where you say that, hey, I know what it's like to be you because I've had this experience as an educator. You don't want to do that. But just to simply talk about the challenges that you faced as simply that, challenges that you faced. We also think it's important to convey high expectations to students. Now, when I say this, many educators will say to me, well, I do. I believe that they have the ability to succeed. I believe that they're brilliant and that they're capable. But 
oftentimes what we find is that if that is not directly communicated to a student where they are told by an educator, you are smart, this is a wonderful assignment, would you mind if I show this as an example to other students, that when those practices aren't taking place, that students don't really know what to think about what the educator really thinks about them. And that's important because what they'll then draw upon is prior experiences from preschool through high school into college where they may have had an educator here and there who wasn't as supportive of them as we would like to see. And as a result, that might be the, what they revert back to to assume that that educator doesn't care about them. So it's so important that we verbalize that, yes, I care about you. I want, I want to support you. I believe in your ability. So validating both the student's effort and their ability. And then I guess the last thing that I would say in terms of a practice that's good, and this is much more specific to the you know, college and university level, if it's important for student success, don't make it optional, make it mandatory. Oftentimes, students don't do optional. And when we're talking about men of color in particular, there's a lot of external challenges that they face that may prevent them from, from doing things that are seen as optional. So for example, if I know that the only students in my class who are going to pass my class are those who go to tutoring, who come and visit me during office hours, and who do multiple drafts of papers, then that shouldn't be something that I just tell students I'd like for you to do. I should make it a mandatory part of the course because we communicate the importance of those practices and whether or not we make it you know, voluntary or mandatory. So those are just some quick things that come to mind, but there are many, many other practices. And in fact, we actually have training programs that are focused for college educators and for K-12 educators on strategies and practices that work, and I hope to share some of that information during my visit. If you could just talk about the impact that one educator, not necessarily confined to a person who had the official role as teacher, but the impact that one educator had on your life. Wow. Confining that to one is so difficult, but I think I can do it. There have been a number of educators who have been really instrumental in my success. And they have been of all backgrounds. Many of my, the first educators who validated me, who inspired me to be successful, who believed in me, they were, you know, white. And when I went to college, many of the educators who continued that pattern were black. And then when I went to graduate school, many of those educators who continued that same pattern were Latino. And so I've had really the benefit of being strongly mentored across my educational path in ways that some students simply haven't had. And so I've been fortunate and blessed in that way. And I think that what they did for me was that they had high expectations for me and they believed that I could do it. And they didn't simply allow me to do the bare minimum. They pushed me as hard as they could push me, but they were able to do so because I know that they are pushing me because they cared, not because they wanted to see me fail. My older brother, he's a former Navy veteran and had a high post in the, in the military, and he's kind of created a, a saying in our family that the maximum is the minimum. And if you think about, and I think about, you know, what those educators did for me, the maximum was the minimum. They, they really pushed me to that next level and didn't give me any break to ensure that I would be able to be, you know, and do the things that I'm able to do right now today, you know, to be a professor, to have published books and peer-reviewed articles. And a lot of that began with those, just those very simple tools, you know, 
believing in me, communicating that to me, and pushing me as hard as they could push me. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, just, you know, I listened in our conversation and, and doing a little bit of research for our interview just um, solicited from me a, uh, you know, a mental thanks to all those who uh, put me up on their shoulders. And so I just was interested to hear who those people were in your life. Yes. Well, thank you for allowing me to share. All right. And for my last question, I just kind of want to broaden your audience out in case some of the people who will be coming out to see you at 5 p.m. Friday in the ANS Auditorium are not all within the educational field. What do you hope your audience takes away from your conversation, Black Minds Matter? I hope that they take away this notion that there are real challenges with bias and stereotypes and that those bias and stereotypes that we have in our society don't just influence students in school and college settings, but they also influence them in wider society. I'd also hope that they would take away this notion that we can be successful in educating these students with one, first, the desire to do so. I mean, two, once we have that desire, then thinking about what are those strategies and practices that work. And so I think that that's a principle that applies not just in school settings, but in business, an industry and healthcare and the criminal justice system. I think that that is a principle that is widely applicable. So those are two things that I would like them to take away. And then I guess the third, which is the title of the talk, Black Minds Matter. You know, when we look around the country, names such as Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Oscar Grant III, these are names that we've seen over the news and over the media for the past several years because they have been at the opposite end of those who are in positions of authority or perceived power and have been slain. Now, I don't want to get into the specifics of each of those cases because I think there's a lot of nuance there depending upon the case that we're talking about, but there is a pattern that we know and see in society and in educational settings that perceives men, and in particular men of color, as being deviant and dangerous and up to no good. And that, of course, influences how educators then interact with them in the classroom. And from the perspective that black minds matter, if we don't value the life, how can we value the mind? And the truth is, I believe that many individuals do value the life. And I believe that many individuals do value the mind. And so what I hope they'll take away are some simple strategies that work in communicating that to students and providing a, a net of support for them to ensure that those who who are committed to their success in education will succeed. Well, J. Luke Wood, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with me today and talk about the conversation you'll be leading this Friday, Black Minds Matter, towards educational practices that support black men and boys. I do very much appreciate you bringing this thought-provoking conversation to our radio audience as, as well as the audience who will be out there to see you at 5 p.m. on Friday. Thank you. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we continued our collaboration with the John H. Lounsbury College of Education to share their social justice dialogue series with our radio audience. Joining me in the studio was J. Luke Wood, an author, editor, and educator who focuses on leadership in developing higher education's capacity to serve men of color. He will be leading a conversation entitled Black Minds Matter towards educational practices that support black men and boys, which will take place at 5 p.m. this Friday, March 3rd, in the A&S Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. 
I've been your host, Daniel McDonald, and I want you to know it's been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I look forward to convening with you next time.